Hello and welcome to Think About Eurovision, a Eurovision podcast with me, Chris, a Eurovision fanatic from the UK. And me, Kim, a Eurovision fanatic from Canada. Today we are going to be taking a look at a contest from the 90s. We're going back all the way back to 1993 in Mill Street in County Cork, the Republic of Ireland. Um, I <laughs> I forgot how long ago 1993 was <laughs> until I watched this Eurovision. Uh, being a child like of the 90s, born in the 80s, but really like formative years in the 90s, it doesn't feel that long ago to me, but like it was a while. <laughs> it was. I mean, I would have been five when this contest took place. So wow, too small um, to have, you know, I, I don't remember watching Eurovision that early in my life. I think I mentioned before that my earliest Eurovision memory is uh, 1996. So three li- three years later, not that not that much later than this one though. You were still a youngin, yeah. but you did not get to experience all of the hair and shoulder pads and various blazer outfits in uh, <laughs> in its live glory in 1993. I mean, I, I don't think anyone could deny that Eurovision tastes especially not so much now now it's much more modern but you know i think until like the mid 2000s it the the years lagged behind the real world in the world of eurovision and you definitely get that vibe from a 93 contest like yeah the 80s is just clinging on it's like i'm not letting go (laughs) i have to say that i'm always sort of excited when we do these throwbacks um but i like i always think it's gonna be like such a fun vibe like i'm really gonna experience the nostalgia of the hair and the clothes and stuff like that but i've got to say that the 90s and 80s eurovisions we've done so far far have been like a little tough to get through (laughs) the ones that we did that were really old like the, the ones from the 60s those were really cool and interesting to watch and so fun to like see the origins and like the fashions back then and stuff um but somehow the 90s don't give me that same feeling of like um you know interesting awestruck like um history it's just kind of like woof (laughs) that that was a look that we all wore back then (laughs) i mean modern history is still history and that's true (laughs) and one day it will be history it won't be modern history it'll be like oh yeah 993 that's in the history books like i was alive then excuse me right well, a hundred percent, because I spend more time than I should on on TikTok, especially given that like I am t- probably too old for it. But um, like to see that Gen Z is all like rocking the nineties fashions again, and they're all talking about vintage fashions, like being like the nineties being vintage. That I'm like, oh right, <laughs> I'm old. I'm Those old, and they're wearing butterfly clips again. <laughs> Ah, oh well. Um, well, all in all, this 90s, um, 1993 Eurovision was a bit of a grind to get through in places, and then also kind of, you know, a fun sort of look at modern history and others. So, all around, it was a bit of a mixed bag for me, um, but I'm interested to hear your take. 
Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I was quite relieved I watched all the um, artists last night with a nice martini because I'm classy. <laughs> I'm dead classy. Um, that's, that's a way to class up a viewing experience at a martini. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, we. this is the smallest town that Eurovision has, has ever been hosted in. 1500 residents it said i mean they must like they they did say that they have a pretty large tourist industry or i guess you know because they have the um like horse jumping events there that they have the infrastructure to be able to house a lot of out of town guests but like that is a big event to take place in a town that small yeah i mean even still they had to do work on the train station within a year so basically, the night that um, Ireland won the year beforehand, um, mm. Noel Duggan wrote a letter to RTE, which is the Irish broadcaster, saying, come to my venue that I own in the tiny town of Mill Street in County Cork. Let's do Eurovision wow. there. And, you know, we got a lobby group together. They, they pushed for it and they got it over Dublin. Um, but yeah, wow. I mean, such a, such a small town. And you you see it in like the uh, postcards, which we'll talk about the postcards because honestly, I love the postcards from this year. Right, it's the only one well, I've got a note on every single postcard. Did you um, notice a certain celebrity sighting in the first view of the town when they were just showing life about the town? I didn't. No, I I must miss that. So I maybe I am wrong on this because this is an actor that I'm familiar with currently. But back in 1993, he looked a lot differently. But at about nine minutes in, I am positive that Brendan Gleeson walked by. Do you know who Brendan Gleeson is? Not a clue. But I'm really bad at like actors knowing who they are from their names to their faces. I'm terrible at it. So I, I'm i like, I am a bit of like a TV and movie junkie, so I know a lot of names. I don't know, a, like he's in a lot of stuff as a, more of a character actor, I think, but he is in a, he's in a show right now called Mr. Mercedes, but I think that I know him most from the movie In Bruges, which was with Colin Farrell, but he's in a lot of things. Like he's one of those actors where I can't actually think of like all the things he's been in, but if you look at his IMDb, he's in a lot. Um, yeah, I anyway. Here on uh, Wikipedia's uh, Alastor Moody in Harry Potter. Yes, yeah, One-Eyed Moody or M- Mad-Eyed Moody. I don't know if that's how his first name, uh, how his first name is cre- uh, pronounced. I'm not all that up on um, Harry Potter. I've I've seen the films; they're fine background films. I never enjoyed the books as a kid. It was never my bag. Okay, let me just make a suggestion. Bear in mind, it's legal in Canada. But have I said this before? That if you just like eat a weed gummy and watch Harry Potter, you're going to have a delightful evening? Just, I don't know if you have said that. No. Just a suggestion. <laughs> um, for our British British listeners, don't do that. It's illegal. <laughs> Come to Canada, eat a weed gummy, watch watch Harry Potter. Yeah, It'll be a delight. That sounds like an experience. <laughs> Um, okay, moving on. So, uh, listeners, if you want to check out about nine minutes into this 1993 broadcast and tell me if I was correct in my celebrity sighting of Brendan Gleeson or if I have mistaken this man, <laughs> um, but I think it's him. I do. So, so what was your overall sort of feeling about the vibe of the um, show on this one? So, here is my theory. Um, so, this 
show has a vibe that is not quite the um school recital vibe of the very early ones that we have seen but certainly not the party vibe of the more recent ones and we made the same comments when we um did the the other uh 1980s yeah um and so my theory about the change in vibe i think I think it's the live orchestra. I think the live orchestra, it has the vibe of going to the symphony, even though the songs are not all classical. You know, it's not like the symphony doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, classical music. But um, I think that that is like the tuxedos and ball gowns vibe stems from there being a live orchestra. It is a... um, a soiree type event versus the modern vibe, which is like, this is a party. It is a concert. It's, yeah. you know, and so I would be interesting to, I would be interested to see like the last Eurovision with a live orchestra versus the following year where it didn't have one and see if there's like a, a change in vibe. But that is my theory. Right. So overall, I think that it had kind of this, uh, you know, evening soiree night at night with an orchestra type of um formalness that we saw before that is just a little less fun in my opinion than the more modern eurovision yeah i i I understand how you would see it that way um uh, having watched a performance from last night's san remo music festival um so the winning artist who's representing italy um um i don't know how it's pronounced but it's like spelled like main skin i could be pronouncing it completely wrong um so they're a rock mm. band who's representing italy this year and at san remo uh the music festival and um com- music festival music festival slash competition that inspired eurovision they still have an, an orchestra at it and it was so good watching his performance with like this legit rock band yeah like, they're kind of like hard rock the strokes kind of like garage kind of rock um style but they had like these um bits with the orchestra and it sounded so good yeah i mean fair enough i think it'd be interesting to bring the orchestra back to some extent i think i i agree i do think that like i mean i so i have been to we we have a lovely symphony in nova scotia um and i have been to it several times and um what i tend to go see is i see um modern artists most of them are like local artists that um that a partner with Symphony Nova Scotia in order to do more modern music to, with a symphony backing them. And like, it is an experience. We have also been to um, the symphony, my boyfriend, at least he went with some friends uh, to see Symphony Nova Scotia do um, video game music. So oh, wow. it was all like Nintendo and stuff like that. Like the, I'm not, I'm not saying that like a night at the symphony has to be this like stuffy hoity toy affair that, you know, um cannot also be a really fun rock vibe and whatever but that but but i think that like it's the maybe the mentality of it being sort of like a um seated pleasant clapping uh you know dress up night out is sort of more what i'm what i'm uh describing here but yeah i actually think like if they brought a live orchestra back with this modern music that we do now i mean like that would be pretty incredible so cool it'd be so cool i mean um both comedians Tim Minchin and Bill Bailey have done work with orchestras and both those shows are brilliant. So uh, Bill Bailey sort of shows you how the orchestra works in his his performance with the orchestra mm. and he makes jokes using the instruments. 
Um, Because, like, he doesn't do, like, funny songs. He does, like, jokes using music as the punchline. And then Tim Minchin does, like, funny songs, and he's done it with the orchestra. And it's just so good. Um, So I do recommend checking both of those shows out. Okay, good recos. We're getting sidetracked again. Always do. (laughs) Yeah. So we've, we've got some songs to talk about. We do. Okay, I am not going to lie. I I don't know. I think that I had the same trouble before when it's this genre or this age decade of music or whatever. But like I have a brain block or something, (laughs) but I'm I have a I'm having a really hard time remembering and differentiating the songs. I watched the song like I, I watched obviously the whole thing once I watched all of the songs a second time and then did the um, recaps more than once. And still I'm having a hard time, like really like I just not ingesting it. I don't know if maybe that's just because these songs aren't quite my vibe, but I don't I'm think still, it's I, just you because no. <laughs> I'm having, I've had very much a similar problem. Okay. Today okay, I've I'm... rewatched it a couple of times and I'm like struggling when I'm in the moment, I can sort of pick out my favorites and then I'll compare them. But recalling yes. them is what's difficult. They're not. I I agree, and so I have a head. few notes trying to jog my memory. I also took screenshots um, of all of the performers to remind me what they look like, and even still, I'm having a bit of trouble. So if my comments are a bit more vague than usual, then that's why. But that in and of itself is a bit of a commentary on how I felt about these songs. <laughs> so, um. Do you have you come to a favorite song? Yes. Um so I did actually go back and forth between a few. Um but where I landed was Iceland was my number 1. Uh Iceland did not do particularly well. They finished middle of the pack at number 13, but for me I thought it was fun. Um it had kind of ABBA vibes for me even though it was not quite as sort of like upbeat is the most well-known ABBA songs at least the ones that I know best uh have but it still gave me sort of like fun ABBA type beats what what was your number one uh, well well your number one Iceland uh so I'm not gonna try the pronunciation but uh the song in English translates to then you'll know the answer uh I put right in my bottom five it, it came at <laughs> number four from the whole 20 22nd I didn't enjoy it that much. Uh, not really the song's fault. I'm being harsh. The sound was really bad on it. I struggled to there, hear her. There were several instances where the sound was not good. And I mean, there was a lot of feedback I found. Oh, um, yeah, <laughs> there yeah. was. Um, the sound was not good for a few of the acts. Um, and that has probably impacted on the way I've judged it. Mm. So it... I'm, some of my scorings may be a little unfair in that regard, but the songs that I like, I genuinely do like. Well, I mean, I feel like it isn't necessarily unfair because, um, you know, I've always said, I think that you agree in our discussions that like it's about more than just the song itself. It's about the whole viewing experience, including the performance and the spectacle and the quality of the, you know, sound and music etc so if you scored it poorly for that i think that's fair yeah because i mean i complained in that 1960s one where that guy dragged the microphone stand and made that (laughs) sound like no don't want to hear that that's true don't want to hear that 
Uh, but yeah, Iceland, I didn't enjoy it because of the sound quality and it just felt a little bit dull. I liked the saxophone, though. I did enjoy the saxophone. What I have noticed is that all of my top songs, um, not in the same way, but they all feature like pretty heavily with brass instruments. Like I like a, I like a horn vibe. I like a saxophone, you know, moment. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. I mean, I think we discussed that I'm a scar kid, so yes. I'm always drawn to a horn. <laughs> that sounded ruder than I meant it to. <laughs> hey, no, no. <laughs> You know, no pushback from me. So, um, okay, so Iceland, uh, not your favorite. Not my favorite. My favorite was Austria. So Maria Magdalena, which obviously translates to Mary Magdalene. Um, it was, but I think it's because what I'm doing at the moment, I'm getting back into running. Yes. Um, after taking an entire year out of not running due to the old Rona. And not wanting, because I'm asthmatic, I tend to cough when I run. I didn't really right. want to deal with the awkward conversations in the street. No, I've not got, I've not got COVID. I'm just lungy. <laughs> so I, I took a year out from running and I'm starting again. And I'm always like on the lookout for like a good running song. I've got a, a running playlist. Yes. Um, and this is on my playlist now because it's 165-ish beats per minute. Yes, I did. Yeah. I did work that out, which is, is fast. Like a, a standard fast song is about 140 BPM. Yeah. So it's like, it's fairly faster than a standard sort of fastish pop song. It had an electric drum kit. Sucker for one of those. That just feels so <laughs> 90s and 80s, early late 80s, early 90s. I couldn't put my finger on what it was. I, I loved about it so much. But it just got me bopping. And I've listened to it so many times. And every time I'm like trying to sort of think more critically about it, and I just get lost in a moment and just enjoy the song. So I just had to put it at the top. Yeah, I um, I hear you. I enjoyed this uh, quite a bit as well. It was number seven for me, so not quite as high, of course, but like still in my top ten, and I did enjoy it quite a bit. And um, I enjoyed it more than the official placing would have put it, which was uh, 14th. So interestingly, my number one was 13th in the results, and your number one was 14th. So <laughs> both of us have tastes that are like middle of the pack as far as the actual scoring goes. Um, but yeah, I did like that song as well. Yeah. Um, I also enjoyed his postcard. His was a fun one. Um, Remind so, me. So he went to the, sh- he went fishing first and then he went to a trip down the shops and then he went to look at a pottery and tried throwing his own pot, which he was bad at. And then he sort <laughs> of replaced it with something that's already been made perfectly. And then it turned into a drum. Just quite enjoyed that. Um, can I ask, uh, did you watch a version of the final that had commentary or no? Mine didn't have commentary, no. So in in Canada, the only version that was available had commentary. And Uh, so there was a lot of, um, you know, during the postcards, there was a lot of commentary just about the performers and whatever. So I found that I was actually a bit distracted. I wasn't paying as much attention to the postcards themselves as I was to the commentator talking about the performers or you know oh actually it was a it was a british commentary was it terry wogan then it must have been like Um, an irish accent yes yeah that's terry wogan and um was this the same commentator that we have listened to one other time when there was only a version available commentary it sounded familiar i feel like he was i'm but i'm not sure i'm not sure but you I have, think you so. have heard him before because he hosted um, with Ulrika Johnson when we did the UK contest in Birmingham. Right. He was well, a co-host. okay. 
So I think I remember making the same comment when it, I think it was the same the same person who who did the commentary last time when I listened to one that it is so cringe to hear what is like okay to say in the, <laughs> in the 80s and 90s because he what commented he so much on um on on all of the women so like when uh the Icelandic performer I think her name was Inga when he was like I think she's probably the best looking of the women in the contest um she's uh uh Bonnie um like uh, you know a bonnie something and then um he was like uh oh uh she's i it was another performer that he was like uh she's uh she's thrown on a little black number looks like she spent some time on her hair and one other time when he was like oh she squeezed herself into something it was like there was so much of it i shouldn't laugh like that's not okay but like it was kind of crazy to just like they're unabashedly openly just commenting it's it's crazy the 90s were a crazy time for the listener but, i'm doing a double face palm oh yeah oh yeah um like i mean he did comment on some of the things that the men were wearing as well but like he did not comment on who the most attractive man was in the contest um <sighs> In any case, so uh, back to the postcards, I was a little bit distracted um, just by listening to the commentary. So um, but I remember that being fun to just kind of like see them doing stuff around the village or whatever. The fishing especially I thought was funny because they were all dressed in like blazers and button up shirts out fishing on the boats. I think if if you showed the postcards to an alien and said, this is this is Ireland, they would assume two things. The only thing that people eat is fish. Prawns. He said prawns so many effing times in that commentary. (laughs) The only thing that people eat is fish. And the only animals other than fish are horses. Yes. That's the only two takeaways that an alien would get from that, from all those postcards compiled together. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. I don't even think anybody was actually eating prawns in the postcards. I don't remember prawns, no. But he raised it at least five times. Uh, I'll tell. <laughs> uh, um, okay, well, so let's go on to our number two picks. What have you got in your second place then? I have Sweden. Sweden. Okay, another one I didn't rank as highly as you. <laughs> That's unsurprising, though. Like, <laughs> you know, really, I think we've established that, like, we just don't have the same taste in most cases. But yeah, so Sweden was the one, just as a reminder, where it was kind of like boy band vibes, but with a retro feel. It was very 90s, and they were wearing these, like, printed blazers. There were four of them, but one main singer, and they were wearing blue printed blazers. Um, I just thought that it was a fun bop. It, like... You know, it didn't feel it felt um, sort of like a nostalgic throwback without feeling super dated, which is a fine line, I think, where it's like it's the same comments that we had when we talked about the 
songs from the 60s is that I think perhaps a reason why um, none of the songs that I liked best performed very well in the actual results, um, or at least not as well as I ranked them, because I'm judging it based on like which ones I felt held up best over the course of 30 years um, versus what might have been most popular in its day. Right. And so yeah. I just felt like this one was like it was a fun throwback vibe, but it felt it still kind of felt like fresh. Yeah, um, so for me, I, I put it um, in 20th place out of 25. <laughs> so again, right down the bottom. Um, it, it, uh, it, it sounded to me old-fashioned. Oh my I, God, so like the absolute opposite of the comments I just made. <laughs> to me, it sounded like Eleanor by the Turtles. Eleanor G, I think you're swell. That one. Oh yeah, but like that's the that's a vibe that I love. Like I really like a. Th- I mean, maybe it's because I I feel like '90s music maybe doesn't hold up as well as like <laughs> I don't know when were the Turtles the '60s. I think they're '60s. Yeah. Yeah, 60s music holds up better, in my opinion, than 90s does. So that's just a matter of taste, I'm sure. I'm sure it is. And also probably um, sort of memories for me. So I highly doubt Robson and Jerome would have ever made it across the waters. Uh, I don't know them. No. So Robson and Jerome were, are, well, they still are, but two actors who were on a show called Soldier, Soldier. And on that show, they sang a song together. And a record company got involved and were like, we like you guys, let's give you some money. Uh, that's in my head, that's all, how all record producers talk like. <laughs> we like you, eh? <laughs> let's give you some money and make some albums, eh? Um, so, yeah, contract. They... I don't know, I just thought I'd throw that in there, yeah? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they um, did all these songs from that sort of era. Like Up on the Roof, they did a cover of that um, they did that Nightingale sang in Barclay Square song. And my mum loves them. And Eleanor G, Eleanor by the Turtles, Eleanor G, I think it's well song, was one of the songs that I remember hearing all the time. Yeah. So I think just a visceral reaction to things that sound like that. I don't enjoy it. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, maybe like background uh very quickly is that when i was growing up my dad was in a 50s and 60s rock band and so um that was not his job it was his hobby but we lived in a small enough town that like they were well known they played a lot of like you know uh gigs they played new year's eve events and stuff like that and so they practiced at our house in our basement like so i grew up with 50s and 60s music and i still listen to a lot of it now yeah so for me i guess like for like uh i feel like a 60s throwback i don't know it just like feels nostalgic in a way that it it maintains a level of freshness versus um i don't know maybe i just like don't have the same level of nostalgia for that reason for 90s music despite the fact that like i was actually alive <laughs> and growing up in the 90s i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean like like i've said before taste in music like all art is subjective so no one's opinion is wrong here so true so let's talk about your number two my number two did not score massively well but it did actually do better than people predicted. And my favourite was, Bo- my second favourite, sorry, was Bosnia and Herzegovina. Um, Svalbolsvietia. <laughs> I'm not sure the pronunciation of that. 
translates into all the pain of a world. Let me guess, you didn't I, like it. I scored it 22. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we are really like, we are... Chalk and cheese. Yes, we're so polar opposites. But for me, I mean, it had that haunting whistle um, at the start of it. With like the uh, was like remind me of like Enya songs with the um, the whistle sound, and then like the stabs of violin, and it appealed to my sort of love of like lo-fi sort of bops. Like it wasn't intense; it was all quite pared back. But um, I just I just really enjoyed it. Um. I, again, I can't put my finger on what it was other than I, I like that kind of cool kind of performance. He wasn't looking overly sincere at any time. He looked yeah, just I don't like effortless. That yeah. Uh, talking about sincere, I mean, I don't know where I scored him, but the Cypriot lads, one of them had the most sincere eyebrows I've ever seen. <laughs> I just I feel like like earnest displays of emotion makes me uncomfortable. I think we've talked about that before. I just like don't I don't like it when they look too like uh, overly sincere. Yeah. Um but is it was okay, was this the one where the background musicians um they were sort of like doing a slow sidestep back and forth I with think their they instruments? Were, yes. Yes, I thought that was so weird. I just, I thought that I it just didn't do it for me. Um, no. I don't really remember the song, to be fair, uh, but it. I think that that also speaks volumes that like, for me at least, I just didn't find it super memorable. But I do remember there being kind of like, it felt a little bit disjointed for me that there was doing this weird, slow dance move um, while... I mean, not that I'm I'm not grading them on what they're wearing, but he's like, you know, you know, very sort of like business like brown suit while they're like, I don't know, it felt a little yeah. off to me. I, I would say you have to consider what was going on in Bosnia at the time. Sure. It was the height of the Bosnian War. I mean, the, the challenge they had to get to Ireland. So they had to run the gauntlet of, sp- of, of snipers to leave Sarajevo. What? Um, the last part of their, their their flight involved crossing the city's exposed airport in darkness, running across two runways to reach a ditch. From there, they could crawl to a peninsula of Bosnian-held territory. Wow. Yeah. And the night that they made their escape, they didn't just fly out. They had to escape the country to get to <gasps> Republic of Ireland. Six other people were killed trying to do the same. No, you're and, kidding. No, and they couldn't even get their conductor. Their conductor didn't make the journey. I don't know if... All I know is their conductor didn't make the journey. So whether he just got caught, didn't attempt it, I don't know the details. So the um, Austrian conductor conducted for them. I am horrified. That is that is crazy. I yeah. I mean, like, it's so, you know, like, that's that's my ignorance, I think, because, like, although I'm aware of the fact that the war was taking place, like, I never would have imagined that they would have had to go through that kind of ordeal to get to Ireland to participate in this. And here I am, I'm like talking about his suit. Screw your like, brown what, suit. <laughs> I know. Like so what so what I'm hearing is I'm a dick and these guys <laughs> these guys went through literal hell to get here and perform and uh 
I, they don't need the, the likes of me uh, <laughs> criticizing their suits and dance moves. But like, wow, that is that is absolutely insane. But the important thing is they did a lot better than anyone expected them to do. They were not picked to basically come anywhere higher than last, really. And they, and came, they 16th. came in 16th. Yeah. Not, that's, that is not a dishonorable showing, is it? Middle of the pack. Yeah. And especially if, um, you know, you're not heavily weighted to to perform well, middle of the pack is pretty darn good. Yeah. So who've you got in your third place then? Um, in third place, I have Malta. Malta. Okay. Well, again, I, I, I gaze, I cast my eyes downwards to the bottom of my list. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I actually put a middle of the pack. Um, so, so what was it you liked about that one? Because I haven't got much notes on it because I just, just didn't stick with me. So it really kind of gave me some uh, some Michael Bolton type feelings, which is not my usual genre, but it's like a husky voice with kind of a, you know, a big brassy background. Like there was a lot of horns and sax and I, I can't pick out instruments. I'm terrible. You would know. But like there were so there was a lot of brass happening. It just felt to me like kind of a 90s version of um almost a maybe e- even a bit of like motowny vibe so again i think that i'm going back to like some <laughs> of the songs that i like best are the ones that don't necessarily give off the most uh <laughs> 90s sort of musical trends but michael bolton is very 90s oh and yeah no arguing there it gave kind of like a mix of 90s plus older um i don't know I, that's probably a terrible description but that's what i liked about it <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, I I didn't enjoy the verses, but the choruses I noted were much better. And I liked the intensity that came from the backing vocalists. And I did play that it was I, very of its time. I made note of zero lyrics, as I never do. <laughs> I uh, So, the winning song, uh, so uh, Neve Kavanagh, who we saw in the last Eurovision we looked at, Representing yes. Ireland. So um, with In Your Eyes was my number three. Very good. I had it at number four. Yeah. So that very song, close. That song was legitimately good. Not to my... Fa- not obviously, obviously, understandably, it's not my favourite. I've put it third. But, yeah. you know, it's a really good song, that. Yeah, I think that... Um... It's not one that I would normally go for. This was a very distinctly 90s song, Um, but it was a very good song. And so uh, I scored it quite high, obviously not as high as it finished as I didn't score it first. But um, I mean, I do think that despite it being not my usual taste as they often aren't in in Eurovision, but like I can appreciate a song well done, a song well sung. Um, It had a it did. It had a good beat. I I enjoyed it. Yeah. No, it's a massive cheer from the home ground, obviously. And yes. She, again, like the the Bosnian singer, um, she made hitting those high notes look effortless. But she like, did. He, the Bosnian guy, his effortlessness was in a different way. It was like cool, calm, collected. Mm. She wasn't doing cool, calm, collected. She was belting it, but she didn't look like she was struggling at all. So I agree. Scored points with me for that. 
Yeah, a good, a strong vocal performance does go a long way with me for sure. It can be a make or break on an otherwise, uh, you know, less than stellar song or a really good song that's kind of like dropped down in my ranking if the vocals aren't great. And uh, yeah, so I tend to score vocalists who really hit those notes quite high, even if the song itself isn't um, perfectly to my taste. Though in this case, I think that the song uh, was just as good as the vocal performance. It was it was very good overall. It's a song that's aged well, I think. Yes. And I think that's why they brought it back for Eurovision 2010. See if they could capture that lining in a bottle again. They did not. Right. Yeah. And so this is Ireland winning two years in a row. And did I hear correctly, like, this is the first time that that has occurred, that the same country won back to back? Yep. And I'm going to I'm gonna give you a spoiler now. Okay. They win the next year. Oh, really? Yep. So I they... mean, sorry for that reaction. I just mean like, wow. Yeah. I mean, like Ireland has good songs, but I mean, like they're not the be all and end all, right? They, they, yeah, they won the following year. So, uh, and then after that, they were like, if we win, we're not again, we're not hosting. I mean, I will be interested to hear this the song um, for the following year, because I, I obviously did not watch the 1992 Eurovision, but I didn't care for the song that won in 1992 that was played during the intermission. It was a I like hokey. The, yeah, the 93 winner, I, um, you know, obviously did not have it down as my winner, but I can see how it won. Like yeah. I, you know, fair enough. It won. It was a, it was a deserving winner. Um, but that 1992 winning song, I did not think was particularly great. Um, again, not having heard what it was up against. So in, uh, you know, in 94, I'd be interested to, you know, to hear <laughs> what, what song won this competition for Ireland three years running. That's pretty crazy. Indeed. I will say though, that, so after she performed the 1992 winner, then the like songwriter of that song came out during the Johnny intermission. Logan, yes. Man, that song did it for me. That, oh, that was song such, was really good. I loved it. It was such like dirty dancing style. Like he came out kind of like Johnny from Dirty Dancing and just <laughs> gave us this great like... I don't know. A great performance. I really enjoyed that. Yes, that was Johnny Logan, who has won twice for the Republic of Ireland. Um, right. So he's nicknamed uh, Mr. Eurovision. Okay. Uh, so yeah, he won... Uh... No, not gonna even not even going to try and test my own knowledge. He's won twice. <laughs> <laughs> but I like when um, the kids well... came out in like... Of course those kids came out in like bright colored t-shirts, like it was Joseph and, he... Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Right. I, um, yeah, I like that a lot. I can see why he is, quote unquote, Mr. Eurovision. Indeed. Um, so shall we have a look at the bottom of the pack? Mm, let's do it. So, um, my least favorite, I had two and I had to separate them by half a point when mm. I came to it because I gave him my, you know, my usual arbitrary scores. Yes. And I both gave him 15, so I had to like sort of compare and contrast a couple of times, which was fun, listening to two songs I didn't enjoy. Yes. And again, it was, I feel mean, it was more down to sound issues, I think, that I didn't enjoy them. Okay. So the one I didn't enjoy the most, the one I enjoyed the least, I should say, 
double negatives. Don't do that, Chris. Uh, the one I enjoyed the least was uh, Croatia. Uh, don't ever cry. Uh, two words for that. Cacophony. I also scored this my bottom song. Wow. Wow, we're we're aligned on something. <laughs> we agreed on something, yeah. <laughs> yes, um, uh, this did not do it for me. And the sound, I agree. Though I am not generally, you know, like because I am not a musician and I don't have the same sort of technical understanding of music that you do, I generally kind of like let technical stuff uh, go. Like it doesn't bother me in the same way, but I would agree that the sound is bad here. Yeah, um, it's like... Weirdly, they were all sort of st- stood separately. Like, are they socially distancing? <laughs> um, but it sounded like a nursery rhyme version version of You Will Not Touch Him from Miss Saigon. Do you know that song? I've seen Miss Saigon live, and yet I cannot think of the song. You Remind me. You will not touch him. Don't right. touch my boy. That one. I got it. Yes. So it sounded like that. Um, like, the look when it gets a... He's my only joy, that lyric. It sounded like that, but sung in a round in a nursery rhyme style. So yeah. do you know what I mean by singing in, singing around? And then, oh yeah, like I the the very last note. So there were four performers. I think it was the blonde woman who hit the last note that was just Eek. like not, no. not on key at all. Um, so I'm with you on this. Yeah. So I scored that my absolute bottom over my second to bottom because... This one was more, to my taste, boring and ploddy than a song I put second from bottom. So above that, I put the Turkish act. Um, so uh, Barak Aydos Esma Yarim, which translates to my darling brunette. Uh, again, sound issues. Out t- uh, it starts with like the outer time clicking and the acapella that was off key at the start. And the music sounded dead and empty. Again, fire the sound guy. The band aren't responsible like- for that. That's a sound guy's fault. I am so fickle because um, though I agree the sound was very bad in this one too, I scored it really high. Not crazy, (laughs) but it was like um, I scored it eighth. So, you know, in my top 10. And I let the sound issues go despite the fact that I did notice them. So, like, I guess I will, um, because I am fickle, I I will let go of some technical issues, I guess. Um, I am learning <laughs> if I like the song enough. And I this had such, like, a George Michael. I've got that same comment. Like, that, yeah. even the guitarist is dressed like George Michael in Faith. <laughs> Right. And like it had it definitely kind of gave me some George Michael nostalgia and who doesn't love George Michael. And so I I scored it pretty high. Um, I will admit that when I watched it again and I went through the recap, um, the portion that the in the recap that I was watching, the portion that they highlighted was one where the sound was particularly bad. And so I second guess placing this so high. Um, but I didn't change it, so it came in eight for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so better than better than your twenty fourth place. Indeed, but yeah, you meant, we mentioned George Michael and the guitarist literally having the same sort of sunburst acoustic guitar, white t shirt, leather jacket, like full yes. on looking like a George Michael tribute. And a singer this was not like, a coincidence. Yeah, <laughs> and the singer looked like a Turkish Shane McGowan from the Pogues. I don't know who that is. <laughs> so, do you know um, that it's the, the Pogues are most well known around the world for the fairy tale of New York? 
I guess, played around yes. Christmas. So yes. for, me, for me, he looked like a version of Shane McGowan, but with teeth. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> I don't know what he looks like, but I do know that song. Fair enough. So so what have you got next on your bottoms? Um, my second uh, to last is Israel, which uh, actually is in line with where they scored in the actual uh, placement. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I don't know what to say about this, except I just didn't like it. Yeah, I didn't rate it highly either. I put it at 21st out of 25, so mm-hmm. towards the bottom again. Um, I mean, so many notes, almost all of them missed. Right. And it was just a weird performance in general. I don't know. I, I, I thought the song was not good. The performance were not like the vocals were not good. And then it was also this sort of like very weird, awkward staring at the camera that made me uncomfy. It like so, it was weird. It was really weird. Uh, one, one note I made, made was like, it looked like a, a bunch of former students at a school had done a reunion. <laughs> um, got, gone to a school reunion, got talking to the head teacher from when they, who was a head teacher when they were there, and they yeah. decided to start a band with her on piano. Oh God, yes! It was like, were they the Partridge family? Was she the mother of all of the other performers? It was weird, and I, she just had the longest unbroken eye contact with the camera that just. I didn't like it. No. And when she was singing, like I couldn't figure out what part she was singing. I could see her making direct eye contact with the camera yeah. and her mouth was moving around loads i'm like <laughs> what 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 part is she actually singing because it doesn't sound like any of the lyrics obviously i don't speak hebrew i don't know what the lyrics are what they're saying but i can hear the sounds and i can see her lips moving in a different way i'm like it doesn't sound anything like what could possibly be her yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but I I didn't like it, and uh, either did the actual voters. So uh, this was one of two, I believe, where my ranking was perfectly in line with uh, the actual results. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other one. Let me see. Uh, Finland was Finland, huh? so I had uh, Finland at 17th, which is where it came in, and then Israel at 24th. So. It's not, I usually get one that's perfectly in line, but not usually two. I only have one that's perfectly in line, and that's Cyprus, who I mentioned before, um, with the really sincere eyebrows. Right. Um, At 19th for you, then. Yes, I had them at 16th, so not very very high either. It was just a little bit meh, Cyprus. Not bad, just meh. meh. You're right. Okay, so in terms of like middle of the pack songs, who should we highlight? I think always like to have a look at uh, my home country of the UK. Um, sure. So they came second. Um, I know. On a night. I did not like it that much. Um, I mean, if we're going to compare two songs called Better the Devil You Know, I'll take Kylie any day. I don't know. <laughs> Kylie Minogue had a song called Better the Devil You Know, and it's an absolute bop. <laughs> okay, I know Kylie Minogue, of course, yeah. but I don't know the song. I gotta look it up. Oh, you know a- what? I in a similar vein that I am terrible with lyrics. I'm also terrible with remembering the names <laughs> of songs, but I am good at remembering the song once I hear it. God, I the more I mention all of my shortcomings, the more I realize like I'm not qualified to be <laughs> a go 
host of a musical um, crit- uh, critique show. Luckily, uh, it's just it's all subjective, and so exactly. I can I can just choose what I want. It's what makes um, it fun. So that's right, exactly. So yeah, even though UK came second on the night, I put them fourteenth. So very much square in the middle, really. Um, right in the middle, yes. Um, I put them tenth. Yeah. Normally, I score higher on the UK. I almost always score higher than what the actual results are. Weirdly, I don't know why that happens. And then there were two times, I think, that the UK scored very highly in the Eurovisions that we've reviewed. And in both of those cases, I scored them low. <laughs> <laughs> in this case, not not low, top 10, but obviously significantly worse than where they actually placed. So weird <laughs> for, for me um, um the song's just actually just a little bit boring it's felt like the same chorus repeated the, i agree um, i thought it was kind of basic yeah really basic i mean i thought that times sure were simpler when like a simple sidestep would count as your choreo yeah it was uh boring uh, and i really hate the stink at the end but at the end no no, it sounds like a <laughs> jingle for a supermarket. <laughs> and we've already had one of those from the UK. Exactly. Oh, bird's eye potato waffles. <laughs> um. Yes. Okay. So, um. I although I liked it a little more than you, neither of us were aligned with the second place uh, ranking of the UK. What about the uh, the rest of the top five that we haven't talked about yet? Or the big five, I should say. So back then we didn't have the big five. So oh. Pre-big five. So this was the last year where anyone who wanted to take part in it was like, yeah, take part. Because uh, the following year, artists who didn't do too well. Uh, let me just um, call the information. Um, so because of the increase in demand for placing the contest, uh, it was agreed that the performing countries... Um, poorly performing countries in 1993 wouldn't get to participate participate the next time round. Like the line wasn't like it wasn't drawn at a certain number. There was no sort of like definite like if you don't score above, you know whatever, you won't get through. Uh but anything that came below twenty second didn't get through to the next year. So that's how they managed numbers back then. Okay, so yeah, so they're the commentator, uh, Terry. Yeah, Terry Wogan. Whatever. Yeah, anyway, he he said throughout that like, uh, pay attention to the bottom place because they're, they may be relegated. Um, And they, he was saying that it would likely be the bottom six, but it turns out that it was in fact the bottom three. is that what you said? It was anything lower than 22nd? I know that anything lower than 22nd didn't get through. That's what I know for a fact. Anything yeah, lower than so, 22nd. So he was, um, he was expecting it to be the bottom six, but he said uh, it had not been decided yet and it was all a big maybe. So so yeah, they did do that, but with the bottom three, I guess. Um, and he said, which I found quite hilarious many times, that the reason why they were doing this is they were like 25 performances performances is just way too many for this competition i'm like "Mm." (laughs) meanwhile we've got 27 (laughs) uh uh, like upwards of 27 in some years yeah these days and now we've got 40 overall this year when you include the semi-finals wow that's a lot yeah semi-finals is a much more straightforward way of doing it isn't it 
I agree. I agree. I think that that makes the most sense. Um, okay. Well, uh, no, no big five then to, no. to there discuss. Is, there is one artist I would like to discuss. I've mentioned okay. her before and a mean spirit award that is in her name. Barbara Dex, who represented Belgium, who came dead last. Oh, yes. So the Barbara Dex Award is, as I say, a mean-spirited award that's given out every year um, since a few years after the 93 contest. I think it was 97 the first time it was given out. So the worst-dressed performer based on Barbara Dex's dress, which apparently was made by her. I know you and you kind of enjoy some of the fashions. Yes. I didn't think there was anything wrong with Barbara Dex's dress. And there was some I agree. much worse crimes against fashion in that show. First of all, I hate that. Like, who took it upon themselves to give that award? Because that's, you know, not... It's not, it's not kind. And I have to say that I am... I Because I like the fashions and I enjoy... Um, I don't know, seeing it through the years and whatever. Like, I make comments on the fashion, but to award someone as the worst dressed, I feel is tacky. Yeah. But in any case, um, I did not think that that, that was the worst outfit from this Eurovision, like by a landslide. Of I course, mean, I'm looking at it 30 years in the future, but woof, no, there were some really bad other outfits i mean shout out to um the woman in the butterfly top oh my god why were butterflies <laughs> such a thing in the 90s i had so much butterfly stuff but yeah i mean agree and like the mullets uh i mean like let's let's not uh forget the men in this equation because the there sweden. was some terrible sweden terrible with outfits. those costumes with like the printed suits Yes. And I I mean, like, I I actually found it crazy how old the performers were. I should say how <laughs> young they were. Because um not that they looked old in their face or anything, but the hairstyles and the fashions of the day <laughs> just age people so much. So when they said that the Irish performer was 25. And she was wearing that sequined blazer with a, you know, a, a, like a, I don't know, a, a haircut that definitely read older. Yeah. I mean, if you look at her face, she's gorgeous. She doesn't look a day over 25, but it's just the fashions that like really skewed older um, when you look when you look back on it from, you know, from today. Um, yeah, I think Sonia, who represented the UK, was 19 at the time. Wow, that's crazy. And um, the host is 28. Gorgeous, but like dressed matronly. They, I feel like the dress, the like styles of the day were probably very fashionable in 1993. But looking at it back, you know, now it feels very matronly. So basically what we're saying to all the Gen Zers out there, Gen Zers, Gen Zers out there, is who were bringing all the 90s fashion back. Don't run, run for your <laughs> life. It will make you look old. I mean, I've got to say though that like these fashions are not the ones that Gen Z <laughs> is bringing back. But I mean, so this is only a matter the, of time. The uh, right, the dress that was um that was worn by 
what's her name from Belgium? Barbara Dex. Yes. Okay. So like this was like a sheer button up collar dress in like a neutral beige. I mean, like it had a bell sleeve that maybe I wouldn't wear today, but like this dress has held up through the times much better than the majority of the other, um, you know, the other dresses that were worn. I will say though that um, Iceland, Ingrid wore this like gold slip dress that a hundred percent someone would wear today for <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, that's, that's too bad. I feel bad that she, Again, I don't know, it was like coined this worst dress to the extent that they actually like named an award after her. So mean spirited. And she, again, she made that dress herself because she was studying studying fashion. So Well look, I mean, there. She was studying fashion and she created something that was so ahead of its time that everybody else thought it was unfashionable and yet hell holds up far better than anything else anybody was wearing. It's fashion, darling. Look it up. That's right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, apparently she's okay with it and, you know, she takes it in good spirits, apparently, I've read. But I still, Is that still I going on? I, oh, sadly, yes. No. I still, so, like, it's who just, votes? It's just a bit mean. Ha- um, it's put on a fan site, on a fa- Eurovision oh, fan, on a fan site, site, and public votes, uh, you know, behind anonymous clicks on a website. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a fan. Yeah, no, I'm not a fan of that either. I mean, you know what? I have definitely, like, I have definitely been a viewer of, like, worst dress lists and stuff like that at award ceremonies. And I guess maybe it feels a little less tacky when it's, like, I don't know, not a single person that is being uh, singled out and then an award named after it and whatever. Like, I mean, critiquing fashion, I don't think, is, like... You know, that's that in and of itself is not uh, like so poo poo that you can't do it. But yeah, I, just the award and naming it after her. I, uh, I hate it. But on the plus side, people are still talking about Barbara Dex. So she's got the last laugh in a way. I mean, fair enough. Just like Porkchop <laughs> Parker. <laughs> Drag Race, Victoria Porkchop Parker. Oh, Porkchop. Yeah. I didn't know that was her last name. <laughs> Ah, uh, the first out and still she's being talked about. Yes. Um, so I think that's the uh, main, all the songs spoken about and the artists. We've briefly touched on the um, interval act. So yeah, Linda Martin sang the 92 winning song. It was all a bit cruise ship for me. Very Jane yeah. McDonald. Yeah. Uh, although I think Ovi and Paula Selling would love the uh, Perspex grand piano they had uh yeah i mean <laughs> like a big old grand piano can't say no to that yeah um uh, we've covered uh johnny logan's um uh interval performance so it's just onto the voting um and we got every single vote <laughs> i have to tell you i did not sit through this whole thing i just couldn't i could not i don't blame you but i did <laughs> oh god <laughs> Uh, how'd that go so some highlights were um, when the Turkish jury gave Ireland one single point and like murmurations of shock in the audience like you've got a point that's better than some countries got from this lot right you know there's 26 countries competing um, and they've got 10 
sets of points to give out. You know, it was 15, the 16 other countries not getting points in this lot of votes. Count yourself lucky. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess that, that happens when it's the home team. Yeah. Um, I also quite liked when Finland, um, so when Greece gave Finland eight points, and I think, because he pronounced it Finland, and it's on the phone, I think they misheard yeah. it as Ireland at one point. It was like like a ripple of applause from the audience until they realised it was Finland. Oh. <laughs> um, a, a sort of high point was when they got through to Sarajevo uh, for Bosnia and Herzegovina's points on this crackly, whistly line. Like this massive cheer around the audience. Wow. Which is really heartwarming. That was a lovely point. Yes. Um, and um, the host, she got carried away at one point. Um, Netherlands gave Ireland 10 points and she went, Ireland, 12 points. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> but did they give uh, Ireland 12 points after? No, they were like, uh, he was like, uh, this was wrong. Ireland, 10 points. She was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> I got carried away. <laughs> and... Uh, obviously, she didn't watch all the points because you, you know, you you are sensible and have better things to do with your life than watch an hour of countries saying numbers. It was um, so brutal. I mean, I watched pieces of it, um, but good for you for sitting through that whole thing. Ha- have a wild guess who Cyprus gave their twelve points to. Oh, I'm gonna say Greece. <laughs> it was Greece, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did. Uh, I did tune in for the end of the points awarding, and so it was a bit of a nail biter there for a, for a minute. Yeah. So, did you know who was going to win on this one, uh, or had I managed to not spoil it for you on this one? Unfortunately, I spoiled it for myself. Although I wasn't a hundred percent. I didn't realize that that's what I had done. I wasn't 100% sure. Anyway, so I was just like, I had missed someone. I didn't know who was performing. And so I looked it up on Wikipedia. Uh. And on Wikipedia, I knew where not to look where the rankings were. But Ireland was high. It was highlighted. highlighted, Yeah. And so I didn't know whether they were highlighting it because it was the host country or highlighting it because it had won. Uh. But once it got down to the wire, I was like, okay, well, clearly that must have been what it meant. I mean, that last two sort of sets of points. So we firstly had um, Norway as the penultimate um, points-giving country. So mm. huge cheers when Ireland got 12 points. I think the home crowd then thought that they'd won. Right. But then they were like, we've been struggling to get through to Malta. We still need to go back to them. Right. If we can. And it was, it, I know it actually said, if we can get through to them and get their scores. Because it had trouble. What with would the happen line. if they couldn't? I think they might have just discounted their scores and gone with Ireland for the win. That makes sense. Which, as we know, wouldn't have changed anything. Yes. But it was so exciting because they got down to the last twelve points. Yes. The UK and Ireland were the only two countries in the running, and if either of those got the twelve points, they would get it. Yes. And it was like if the UK had gotten those twelve points, they would have won by one single point. Yeah. And. Like, oh, the tension. Even though I knew who was going to win, even I enjoyed that tension. I was like, these are great moments about Eurovision. When you don't know who's going to win, when it's down to the last score. When it's not those times when we have, we know who's won, but let's do these other scores just because we have to. 
Yeah, definitely. There's a difference there. I mean, I I do like a nail biter. And I can see how the, the points awarding would not be so painful if, like, first of all, the fact that they switched it from every single point to just being uh, 8, 10, and 8, 10, and 12, big, you know, big step in, in a right direction. Um, but I can see how it would be less painful if it was... Uh, modern Eurovision where you don't know who the winner is, um, you know, so in your case, the more modern ones, you have seen them when we rewatch them. But when you're watching them for the first time, you're, you know, anxious to see the result, particularly if you have skin in the game. If you are rooting for your own country or a particular country, then I think that the the hour's worth of points would be exciting. Yeah. But uh but yeah, in this rewatch of an old one with every single point awarded where uh, I didn't necessarily have a favorite I was rooting for, it was just painful. <laughs> you tapped out. Tapped out. Um, but but yes, I like a nail biter. And so that was a uh, an exciting finish. And then we had the Irish performer uh, do the winning song again. Knocked out of the park. That's it in the books. Indeed. So there we have it. Eurovision 1993. Neve Kavanagh won, and then they brought her back for 2010 to see if she could do it a second time. Do a Johnny Logan, but sadly she didn't. She did not. Because her song sounded like it was still from the 90s. Yeah. I mean, I can see now there is a. Like, I can see the thread between the two. <laughs> <laughs> um, so who do we have coming up for our next full-length episode? Next time, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm biting a bullet. I'm going for one of my favorites. We're going to 2007. Ooh, okay. So I've mentioned um, Verka Saduchka before. Uh, 2007 is the one with Verka Saduchka. All right. I'm in, I'm I'm very intrigued. Looking forward to that. And then in the meantime, next week we have a DNQ as usual. Indeed. So next time, obviously, there was no semi-final for 1993. So I'll be choosing something that didn't even make it to Eurovision at all. Oh, that'll be interesting. Yes. So we'll be having some drag race chat after the uh, theme tune. Uh, but until next time. Okay, so it's time for our bonus chat about Drag Race US and Drag Race UK. So we've only got one episode of US to discuss because we had a fallow week where they didn't have an actual episode. There was a how we made this during covid special which kim you've not seen because they didn't show it in canada um that's right and i obtained um in other ways <laughs> to watch myself <laughs> so was there anything of particular of particular note or <laughs> is that a pirate noise you're no, making chris I, I don't know what uh, what you're talking about <laughs> um, um yeah anything of note in that special it was mildly interesting, but it's a lot of stuff that's been covered by every TV show said, and here's how we produce this series without getting right. anyone sick with COVID. A lot of series have done it. So, yeah. 
it was just right. nice. More than anything, the little bits where they were just talking to the queen, just getting to know the queens a little bit more. That was nice. Mm. That was the best bit of it. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the only episode we've had of Drag Race proper um, since last time is the Snatch Game, everyone's favorite, apparently. <laughs> Uh, you know, you know how hard the snatch game is for me because the secondhand embarrassment is so real. We talked about this last time uh, when we because in our last episode, we discussed the snatch game in Drag Race UK. And um, I love it when it's done well. But, you know, every single time someone or or more than one people bomb and it's so hard to watch. <laughs> Yeah, um, let's um, start with the ones who didn't do too well. So then we can move on to better things to talk about. Okay. Utica with her Bob Ross. Oh, I God. don't know much about Bob Ross, but I know that is not Bob Ross's voice. Bob Ross has a soft voice. He's softly spoken. Yes. I mean, did she even say happy little bush even once? No, no happy little mistakes. No happy no. little trees. No happy little bushes. I've only and seen the one episode of Afro. The squirrel Afro, my God, it was so bad. It was really cringy. I, I, I understand what she was trying to avoid. She was trying to avoid appropriation, but like Rue said, he had an Afro naturally. That's right, exactly. Uh, I did read apparently the reason she used squirrels was because he had pet squirrels. That's so, I but mean, that's, it, it, it makes that's, no sense. If that's a concern, don't do that. Don't do do a different character would be my advice to her. Right, but I mean I mean like I'm certainly not an authority on this and so and this is the same critique that I'm making of Utica, but she is not the authority on what constitutes appropriation. And so when you know Rue is saying like he is a white man and that was his natural hair, so like it it isn't. Um I I think that it was yeah, I don't know. It was just sort of absurd for her to put together a giant wig made of squirrels. I, I, I thought it was really bad. Yeah, it wasn't great. Um, um and then beyond that, beyond you know just the afro, it it was just a bad performance. She wasn't funny. She was nope. cringe, Not cringe, cringe. Yeah. Um. Also, uh, trying to remember, I can't remember uh, the queen's name. Um. Elliot with two T's? Uh, yep, yeah, Elliot with two T's did... Rue McClanahan. I don't know the Golden Girls. I know nothing about them, so I am not an authority on to say whether that was good or not. It, was it wasn't funny. I can tell you what it was it, funny or it not. It wasn't funny, yeah. So the Golden Girls are uh, a treasure. They are a delight. And so she wasn't really playing Brew McClanahan more so than she was supposed to be playing her character in Golden Girls, yeah. Blanche Devereaux. And so she's kind of like this, like, you know, Southern um, middle-aged woman who, uh, I don't know, she loves men. I mean, that's true. I, I think Elliot, I too, she got that across, right? But like, but my God, it just wasn't funny. It was not funny. Um and especially, like, when Rue gives a warning to say, like, this is a beloved character and I know everything about them, run. Don't do that character then, because it's it's going to go badly. Yeah. Um, it wasn't great. Um, then it was the uh, vegan oh, chef right. on Instagram. I just, Olivia Lux. Olivia Lux, yeah. 
did um, that one, yeah. I, I don't know the character's name or the person's name she's doing because... Um, I'll show you... I'll, it's, not, it's just not somebody I know of. I'll send you a video. So this was like a little bit niche, but I did know who this was. So she is, you know, a vegan chef and she's just like the most wholesome woman. And... uh you know, she has these catchphrases. She says, and we do this like so like that. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I can't remember what her other catchphrases are um, off the top of my head. But she has some like very distinct turns of phrase. And and it's really endearing and she's lovely and funny. But Olivia Lux didn't hit those catchphrases and she didn't exude the same energy. And, and it just wasn't funny. I don't know. No. Like, that's what it comes down to. It wasn't funny. I mean, you could have taken a, li- a leaf out of Blue Hydrangea's book and just made her filthy. When in doubt, just right. be filthy <laughs> and Rue will lap it up. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, so like, yeah, those were some, those were definitely the bottoms. Yeah. Um, my goodness, though, on the other end of the spectrum, got Mick, just nailed it. Not only did she look like Paris Hilton, but like just absolutely nailed that impression. That's so hot. I know it was just funny. It was, it was so funny. <laughs> and she didn't even have to like, I don't know. I find that sometimes in snatch game, there is like some over the top overacting fighting for, you know, their, their moment to like get the jokes out. Right. Yeah. And like got Mick just effortlessly tossed it around. Like she nailed it. I was very impressed. The one thing I will credit the entire cast on that one, there was no fighting for airtime. Yes, that's true. They were all letting each other breathe, which was nice. Because, I mean, I remember the Snatch Game with uh, Latrice Royale just looking so pissed off, like she couldn't get a word in edgeways. Like right. The romper room fuckery, she called it. Yeah, so true. And that was that was not the case here, um, which I agree makes for a more pleasant viewing experience, even though... I'm still struggling with the secondhand embarrassment. Um, and then we have Denali, who... Um, Jonathan Van Ness. Jonathan Van Ryan, Ness, yes. one of the new Fab Five. Yeah. Uh, she did a good job. She she, she was good. She wasn't stand out. She, she was good. Yeah. She was obviously going to be safe, I think, from that performance, which obviously she was. Um, yes. I, I love that we got two historical characters. So uh, Simone did Harriet Tubman, which could have gone... Either way. I was scared for her. I was worried. I was like, how are you going to make it funny? But she did she, it. She knocked she that out Yes, she absolutely did it. And I love that, like, instead of, you know, trying to inhabit Harriet Tubman, instead she took this modern twist where it's like she's a Harriet Tubman who exists today and knows all of the history. You know, do you exactly, know what I mean? Yeah. Like. That's the way that that was a great way to play it, and the same way that Rose did it for Mary Queen of Scots. Yes, exactly. That was very well done. I mean, play um, to your strength. If you can, if you've grown up hearing a Scottish accent, you can just slip into it. Uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, just whenever you want, you can just slip into a natural Scottish accent. That Scottish accent was so good. What's it called again? Like uh, when you. Like Gillian Anderson is this, where she can effortlessly slip back and forth between an American accent and a British one. I think there's a name for being able to do that, but I can't remember. 
Um, but Rosé must have that because uh, she was very effortlessly able to uh, to do a Scottish accent. And I think that it's like natural for her. That was not her like having to think about how would a Scottish person say this? She just like, you know, she just has the accent and can turn it on when she wants to. Um, quick Google calls it bi-dialectical. Bi-dialectal. That's hard to say. Interesting. Yeah, that is hard to so, say. So yeah, uh, Jenny and Anderson I know of. Um, oh, oh, what's it called? Um... Captain Jack Harkness from Doctor Who and Torchwood. And I can't think of his name now. John Barrowman. Um, I don't know who that is. He's a Canadian actor, but he's also um, born in Scotland. Or his parents are Scottish. So he can do, go into both accents naturally. And when I first heard him do his Scottish accent, because I, I, I was first introduced to John Barrowman through Doctor Who. So I didn't know he was right. Canadian. I just assumed it was an American accent at the time. And I'm I disappointed think... in myself that I don't know who he is and he's a Canadian <laughs> actor. I'm looking it up. I, I think, I don't know if when he's doing John Barryman, because he's playing, an, I think he is playing an American character uh, when when John plays uh, Captain Jack Harkness. He's from the 51st mm. century. I don't really know where he's from. Uh, but yeah, then I, I remember seeing him, he was doing a program about vets and he was talking in this lilting Scottish accent. I was like, what is he up to? I didn't realise it's one of his natural accents. Oh, wow. It was so weird. Yeah. Okay, I've looked him up on IMDb and I've never seen this man before in my life. So <laughs> Maybe he's not really Canadian at all. Um, well, it does say that he was born in Scotland and raised in Illinois. So did he maybe move to Canada later in life? Maybe. I, I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, like that's so fascinating that people can do that, right? Yeah. I'm just dead northern all the time me yeah <laughs> and i am strictly canadian um the, can you hear the canadian accent like there are certain words occasionally that... yeah it, it comes through yeah when i um uh, not not these days because of covid but i used to go to the states shopping like relatively frequently because they offer some products and brands and stuff that we don't have in canada and um so i would be shopping and um someone working in the store they would be like oh you're you're Canadian. Um, I noticed when you said car, <laughs> like there's just one word that I would say. It's usually a words where we like elongate the a and they're like, oh, right. You're from Canada. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. Um, okay. So uh, Candy Muse, uh, she did a pretty forgettable job, in my opinion, just enough to be safe. Candy Muse I don't did e Candy Muse. Yes, exactly. She, that's exactly what she did. I don't even remember who she was playing. Uh, I think Star. that it was a makeup art, a makeup artist. Yeah, Patrick Starr, who I've never heard about. No, but that's because uh, I'm no. not interested in the world of makeup. It's no shade on Patrick Starr. I'm sure they're very good at what we do. I, I'm just not a user of makeup, so I am a user of makeup, and I still I don't I don't know who this is. I recognize the name, um, obviously. Yeah, the only know, the only memorable, like, memorable thing that um, Candy did was bite into the banana skin and right everything. oh i can't believe that she like finished uh eating it like i wonder if she Whoa. spit it out when she wasn't on <laughs> gross patrick star i can't even it's three r's on the end of star that's make what makes it really hard to find oh. out about them i i mean oh, i heard no. patrick star and i mm -hmm. thought patrick starfish from spongebob straight away 
that's what came up. <laughs> that's what came up when I was Googling. Um, yeah, I think that Candy was frankly lucky that there were other girls, um, other queens, I should say, who did uh, worse. Yeah, because that was not a particularly good performance, in my opinion. Um, and Tina then Burner had- one red, orange, and yellow again. <laughs> oh, I know. I did not love Tina Burner's performance either, but it was enough to be safe. It yeah. was, you know... It was not as bad as the others, clearly. No, I mean, the, I, I didn't know who this person was that Tina Burner was doing. They showed a photo Richard of Richard Simmons? Yeah. Just didn't make it to the UK. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah Richard Simmons is, uh, like, I mean, a, like, very well known, even though he's hasn't been relevant, I would say, for a very long time. But, like, have you ever heard of, like, Sweat into the Oldies? I have, but only because um, I think NoFX, the punk band NoFX, have a album which is a play on that as a title. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, so like one of the jokes was so Richard Simmons, he was a very big like fitness fitness guru, if you will, and he hosted a lot of um, fitness like videos and stuff like that. But more so than that, he was just this really outrageous character. He used to go on like the Late Show with David Letterman, and uh, I don't know, he would show up in like a turkey costume and stuff like that, just really kind of um, off the charts. And there was a podcast that was done not too long ago about um, where is Richard Simmons because he has been out of the public um, eye for like a decade and so there are all kinds of rumors about what happened to him including one where his housekeeper is keeping him hostage and you know all of this crazy stuff which was a joke that tina burner made so that's the context there um but yeah he's like just a really outrageous character which i i guess tina burner you know she definitely brought some outrageousness yeah she she should have made maybe like drawn some wrinkles on her face to make herself make herself look more like him because he has like a right. really wrinkly face when he showed his photo. That's what was one thing that made me think. Well, that was my thought about it. Uh, right. Regarding him, interestingly, uh, Richard Simmons also was a white man who had an afro. And, exactly. <laughs> like, and Tina Simmons wore it. Uh, or I'm sorry, Tina Burner. <laughs> Tina Simmons. <laughs> Tina Simmons. <laughs> we have got our own version of Richard Simmons in the UK. We have Mr. Motivator. Oh, I have never heard of that. Mr. But Motivator that sounds was good. like yeah. a morning TV legend in the nineties. So back when the you know when Eurovision '93 was happening, he would have been on TV on GMTV in the morning, and he would do like these sort of low impact sort of workouts, like using what you've got at home, like tins of beans as weights and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So he's our equivalent. I I would figure that does sound very Richard. Uh, and he like has like he has these outrageous garish that he still wears now in the 2010s 90s of patterned like lycra workout suits his fashion has <laughs> not amazing. evolved but <laughs> i mean if he waits so... long enough it'll be it'll come right back in gen exactly. z will all be wearing it uh yeah so that snatch game um runway um the fascinator um look yeah it was it was uh fine Really enjoyed Simone's look with the, uh, you know, the say their names uh, message. Mm-hmm. It was nice to hear Rue and Michelle just shut up and not crack p- terrible puns for just a moment. Yeah, that would not have been appropriate. And no. uh, of course, they 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 knew that. And it was nice that um, they uh, thanked Simone for bringing, you know, such a poignant message to the runway. Drag is um, political. 
Yes. And Rue doesn't shy away from that, which I do like the, you know, un, uh, you know, ashamedly, she uh, absolutely raises political messages on her show and yep. uh, reminds people to vote. And I love that about her. Yeah. Um, yeah, I loved Got Mix uh, yeah. runway look as well. Ooh, so like good. she brings it. She brings it. Got Mix, still um, my pick to win. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I think that you're bang on the money there. I think that uh, she is the most likely winner at this point for sure. I think for me, uh, I think my, now my top three. I no, I have to do top four. Um, Got Mick. Rosé, Olivia Lux, and Simone. I don't know out of those four who's going to win. Yes, those are the those are my same top four. Yeah. Um, although I think that I am seeing a shift in my um, rankings, if you will. I didn't really have them as a one, two, three, four, but but I will say now that I think that Olivia Lux is probably uh, struggling more than some of the others. I think Rosé is actually gaining some momentum, um, and Simone. I I think that like she had a very strong start. She had a bit of up and down, but she continues to be a very strong contender. So, but. I, I do think that Got Mick has been the most consistent, the most uh, like surprising uh, as well. That you know, she's bringing out skills that like I didn't even realize she had. Like I didn't know how funny she was, frankly, until the snatch game, and she really blew me away. Um, so in terms of the bottom queens, uh, like Utica, struggle boss, struggle boss there. I mean, I actually like, so here's my, my thought. So I thought her runway was, was like, I thought she looked gorgeous so in this good. runway with, yeah. with the suspenders and everything. And I actually thought that she brought this like weird kind of strange, um, like, I don't know what the word is. She was like, she was her her lip sync was amazing in this very weird, bizarre way. <laughs> I think, you know, like, I don't think that she would have held up against someone who was like, absolutely like killing it with death drops and stuff. But she like her awkwardness actually translated into something that was like pretty entertaining to watch on this, uh, um, this lip sync. And I thought that she outperformed Elliot with two T's, despite the fact that Elliot is an incredibly strong dancer. And we saw that when she lip synced previously, but she wasn't bringing it in this one. And I think Utica outperformed her. Yeah. Elliot looked all in on that. Like she was just like, I'm done here. Yeah. So drag race UK. Let's do it. So we've got two episodes to discuss there. Um, we've got the, um, ball challenge where the um, sort of crafting whatever you want to call it where they had to make a look out of junk yep um so uh they started with a mini challenge um so i'm trying to recall what the mini challenge was oh it was a reading challenge reading challenge that's right and sister sister won sister sister was a shady bitch and she did win right Yes, and she won. I didn't like the way she reacted when she won, and she just grabbed as much as she could. Um, you know, I don't blame her, frankly. <laughs> oh, I, I, I understand. You know, make it. You know, get get as many as you. I think she played it wrong, though. She played it to try and screw the others over, rather than just picking the best stuff. Is how I thought. I think she yeah. uh, dropped the ball there. Um, and, and as we saw saw when we got to the uh, main stage. 
her look was ill. It was crazy. It was crazy. I mean, she, she, like, she needed to edit. I think that that is the problem with every single one of these, um, what are they called, like, uh, unconventional materials challenges, is that, like, there's always a theme of not editing enough. And uh, I think that sister sister was guilty of that in particular in this one. I mean, maybe it was like to her detriment that she grabbed all of that stuff and hoarded it for herself because then she, you know, put every single thing that she had into the outfit and it, it looked nuts. It backfired. Um, Yeah. But we got to see a horror winner design challenge. With a brilliant look. So incredible. It was like, um, it was like, uh, it didn't look like it in terms of like the dress can, you know, construction, but when she sort of fluffed out, fluffed out her shoulders, it reminded me of like a cobra, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where it was like, like popping out. It's, Ready to attack. Um, yes, exactly. Or like one of those it's dinosaurs so from Jurassic Park with a big round of neck. Oh, like velociraptors or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It was so fierce. And that like caught me by surprise that I was like, oh my God, like that is gorgeous. And the painted on mask, the like rhinestone mask, like brilliant Ahura. Yeah. Really gorgeous. Um, A lot of the others were fine. I mean, Lawrence Janey did a decent job. So did Ellie Diamond. Um, Tace tried the dreaded um brass scourer like what like, how did she like, not learn did you how not did she not learn drag race series uk series one or drag race right. canada leave the scouring pads in the just pile don't do it don't, don't touch it. do it yeah i mean um espe- especially when you compare her to the other girls i mean like uh, honestly i think that um aside from like the the puby bits <laughs> like the, it just like it you know it was sort of falling off and it it didn't look finished and whatever but taste looks gorgeous in anything and this was no exception so when she came out the first on the runway i was like okay but then you see what everybody else did and you're like oh there's yeah. no contest she just looks like she rolled around in a ball of scouring pads i mean she did better than bag of chips did because bag of chips literally just glued into her corset right <laughs> but i mean yeah i mean like this was not all that much better no um yeah and i think that uh you know everybody else did uh a very decent job obviously not to a horror's level but I think that uh, even though it was just a bodysuit, I would agree that I think that Lawrence Cheney's details, um, attention to detail in her outfit really elevated it beyond just like a corset and a panty, which is, you know, Michelle's, Michelle Visage's absolute, like, worst. Yeah, her biggest hate. Um, I thought Ellie Diamond looked adorable. Um, I don't think that it was really pushing herself, which was, uh, you know, a critique that Ahura gave her too. But I mean, the judges complimented her on achieving the goal without um, going outside of, you know, with like bringing her own aesthetic to it, whatever. And I like, I, I do love her aesthetic. I think that it's, I think it's, you know, I love like a retro pinup vibe look and she always kind of brings a little of that to the table. She always brings like a very girly vibe as well. Yeah, yeah. Which that's the thing. Um, that's fine. 
And that's fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, Bimini. How did Bimini like pull that out? When she was talking to Rue, I was like, "Like you're in trouble, girl. You're in danger, girl. He just got like, what was it, like two sort of leaves from like a house plant? I know. A bit of curtain. Oh, dear. I know. I was worried for her um, because she is uh, one of my favorites. Um, she and Lawrence Cheney, I think you're going to be the two to battle it out in the end. Agreed on that. Uh, yeah, so I was like, girl, if you go home on this challenge because you pinned two leaves to a pillowcase, I'll be so mad at you. <laughs> no, she she was safe on that one, thankfully. Uh, and, and that brings us to the latest episode, um, the comedy challenge, where to make things harder, they're doing a comedy challenge in a studio where there's COVID restrictions, so they're literally performing two inanimate objects. Oh, I feel like that, you know, at first, when I realized that they were not performing in front of an audience, I was thinking like, oh, they're getting off easy because it's so much harder, I would think, to perform in front of an audience than it would be to perform in front of inanimate objects. But once they were out there and every joke was to dead silence with the exception of like, you know, the handful of judges that, you know, Oof. it just, I actually realized that it might not be as much of an advantage as I thought, because there's no crowd to play off of. There's no, there's no laughter, you know, there's no energy in the room that you can kind of play with, you know? That's why, like, a lot of, like, um, comedians lately, they've been doing, like, Zoom gigs, and so they like, there's, like, a front row, so they're people who pay a little bit more, and they're on audios on the uh, Zoom call, so the comedian is sort of performing from either home or, you know, from, a, like, a covid safe venue with no audience there they can at least mm. get that immediate feedback of applause and laughter yeah uh, that's so necessary i think yeah it was, like um, did, you, did you watch any of the snl at home yeah it was bad so bad <laughs> it was so bad and you and i are both big fans of of snl but i could not watch it it was so hard to watch them telling jokes to empty silence yeah it didn't help that they, they didn't want the best written sketches either. No, they, no, they weren't. I understand the they, they were limited by like what props they had to a hand at home as well. Yes. So um, I ha I struggled with this episode a little bit, not only because, as I've mentioned before, like stand-up comedy in general, even for a professional comic, it can be hard for me uh, to watch if they're doing poorly. Like I find it really uh secondhand embarrassing but then the other thing that like kind of just took my joy in the watching of this episode was the um ellie diamond um like placement the order of yeah. the show controversy i felt so bad for ellie diamond like I, I don't know about you, but the way that they went in on her on that i thought was very uncalled for and frankly like just not even true like i'm sorry ahora you didn't do poorly because you went first you did poorly because you i mean you you said your entire act had to be bleeped off of the bbc like you so, know um ahora's actually commented on that uh that was because uh, her grand's request the line was that they both have gaping assholes and her oh, grand said <laughs> And it wasn't too much of the BBC. It was that her grand didn't want that going out. So she made him get his senses. She literally spoke to the producers. Oh, you're kidding. And said, yeah, I don't want this going out. I don't want my grandson saying I've got a gaping asshole on TV. Oh, God. Because <laughs> I think it's quite funny. 
Uh, oh yeah, I that actually is not as bad as I thought it was based sorry. on how they were talking. Uh, but no, Ahura struggled. I I'm never the biggest fan of filthy comedy. Um, yeah, I I do prefer weird comedy. I think is probably what I'm more drawn to. Yes. Um, or or you know observational stand up as well. So um, yeah, like I, I didn't enjoy a horror. I didn't enjoy Ellie doing like the. You uh, no, me either. Me love dick bit no. <laughs> no, I didn't. Although just, I did laugh at you just now. <laughs> that what you did was funny, but I didn't enjoy it when she did. No, it's just a little bit coarse, and I'm not there for it. Uh, but taste did all right. She was mildly funny. She wasn't hilarious but she did all, she did all right she did for somebody who's not a comedian absolutely bomb yeah exactly did all right um lawrence i could tell lawrence is so funny but lawrence is geared up mentally to do like a good 10 15 set when yeah. what, what they needed to do there was a tight five that's right i did find that i mean uh, like uh lawrence cheney is um hilarious but i just think that she took too long to set up the jokes. Yeah, they did give her the shade edits by, like, you know, watching the uh, the judges and the other queens getting impatient and looking to the side. Like, 30 yes. glances, like, you could cut that out and, you know, make him look better. That's right. Um, um, but undoubtedly, the one who nailed it, Benmi Bambulash. Yes. Yeah, I thought that, um, you know, she did a great job. And I think that she is edging out uh, Lawrence as the front runner. I think Lawrence was the front runner through the competition for a long stretch. But I am seeing such gains from Bimini that I, I, I think that this is going to be a very tight competition to the end. But I think she might be edging her out. I, I, um, I do not think that Tace and uh, Ellie Diamond are are quite at the same level where I think that they have a decent shot of of winning, frankly. I think that it's going to be between Lawrence and Bimini. I agree. Um, and I think if it does come down to those two in the lip sync, I think Bimini could have it because Bimini has a lot of tricks up her sleeve. Mm. Yeah, so fair enough. London's bendiest and- bitch. I, there you go um and then uh like without uh harping on it too much i will say that i was i was very impressed with the i appreciated the way both tace and bimini handled that whole controversy with ellie diamond and um i did not appreciate the way that um lawrence and ahora you know went in on her for yeah. it and so i will just say really quickly that like i've said this before that one of my biggest pet peeves is when you know someone doesn't perform well and they blame it on another queen instead of their own performance and um ellie diamond has taken shit from them for weeks where they're saying, I think you're the next to go home and you're not at the same level and whatever. And then, and then they're surprised when she is perfectly within her right to, um, to do the order the way that she pleases. She won the mini challenge fair and square and she chose to do it that way. I will say that if it were me, I think that it's unlikely that I would have done like, I, I probably would have done the more, you know, people pleasing thing and and done an order that was less, you know, um, contentious. But I don't blame Ellie Diamond for playing the game. And I, I feel like they just harped on it for too long. And I didn't love that in the episode. Yeah. The, the sad thing is, though, um, 
uh, Lawrence Cheney's got a lot of hate on it on social media and has deleted her Twitter. Oh no, really? Yeah. <gasps> From that? From that, because people have been like, you know, tweeting her nasty stuff, like, not cool. Oh no, I mean, like, I, yeah, I don't like that either. I no. mean, I don't appreciate the way that she she acted, but like, I also would never, like, yeah. you know, bully her. And I, um, I feel like, I mean, things to bear in mind is like, drag race it's a pressure cooker environment people are yes. going to get hot-headed and lash out at their friends yeah and i mean like i i think that it is uh very likely that you know things as is the case with all reality shows is that things are edited to kind of heighten the drama and whatever but i i do think that like if it weren't in the heat of the moment then i would hope that Lawrence cheney would recognize that she wasn't being entirely fair to ellie diamond in that moment that is my opinion at least yeah Right, so um, horror has left on that ch- on the back of that challenge. Um, I'll be yes, honest, I, I, I was surprised. Yeah, I was surprised I, that it I, was a horror. I was shocked. Um, yeah, I, I don't actually remember who was in the lip sync with a horror off the top of my head now. It, uh, taste, taste. Yeah, cause it was <laughs> Wikipedia hasn't been updated and. <laughs> Right. Yeah, if I if I were placing bets prior to the you know, to the uh judges' results, I would have said that Ellie Diamond was the one going home. Yeah. Simply because I, I think that she did not perform well in this challenge, in my opinion. Um but th- I, I think based on um report card. She doesn't have a stronger report card. Yeah. And I don't know, sometimes they take that into account and I think sometimes they don't, so I don't know. No, I, I I feel like it was an early exit for a horror. I think she should have been in the uh, top final three. Yes, I I think that um, I do think that she is a more well rounded queen than um, than you know at least one of the others that has stayed. I I I imagined her in the top four um, out of a horror and taste. I'm not sure who I would have put in the top three, but certainly I think that she. Um, I expected at least that she uh, would have lasted at least one more week. Yeah. On a plus side, she got to make the flat nice and tidy when Taste comes home. She, she's going to... Do they live together? They do, yes. Right. They moved in I during, remember uh, now COVID. from during the COVID. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> oh my God, too funny. Um, well, all of that to say that, um, you know, despite the secondhand embarrassment and cringiness that Snatch Game and the comedy challenges bring, I still enjoy the show so, so much. And I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, to getting down to the wire. UK, we're really getting close now. US, we still have a ways to go. Yeah, but U- US, we might finish sometime this year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, between uh, Candy Muse not going home and then having a week gap where there wasn't an episode. There's been five weeks we, where nobody went home. We still have a lot of queens left there. Um, but that's just more drag race for us to watch and enjoy. Indeed. Uh, right then. So that's everything. So next time we'll be discussing the 2007 Eurovision Song Contest. Looking forward um, to that. And that should be a fun one. Yes. So until next time, bye. Talk to you then. Bye. La 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 la